Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Just a quick review from last week for those that may have not been here last week. Um, talking about only believe and only believe first of all when Andrew my son was born and they said he couldn't live through the night and he'll be 17 years old in June because he didn't have a left pulmonary artery and and because of many many different things the George syndrome 22 Q11 and all that um, in the birthing room that those are the words fear not only believe when it seemed like as though that everything was horrible Fear not, only believe. Long story short, matter of fact, it's in the book. How many of you don't know Andrew's testimony? Anybody here has never heard my son Andrew's testimony? All right. Well, we got a book out all about it. So, But those are the words, and that's the title of the message, only believe. You see, what we believe is important because to God, it makes all the difference in the world between life and death, good and evil, blessing and cursing in our lives. It's important. If we want to see the glory of God, he said, you've got to believe to see the glory of God. If we want our prayers to be effective, he said, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Isn't that what Jesus taught? That's what he said. So if we want things to be possible, you have to believe. If we want to remove mountains, we are told you've got to believe what? In your heart that what you say with your mouth will come to pass and mountains will be removed. And also, if we want to work the works of God, what did Jesus say? This is the work of God that you believe. That you believe on him, the one who was sent. And so that was point two. It's important we understand the need for us to believe. And then also we said that unbelief gives God fits. Gives him fits. I'm telling you, it does. You see, it made him want to disown his own people because they would not believe when they got before the promised land, he says, how long will it be before you believe me? You saw my signs, my wonders, and my miracles, but you won't believe me. And it gave him fits. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. We didn't give you this last week. But look at what he, what he said. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. What a statement that God made as I have heard you speak what were they saying we can't do it we're a bunch of grasshoppers they're you know they're giants and we're grasshoppers we're a bunch of bugs they're giants that's what they were saying and he said look your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward I bet you'd be glad you're a teenager then wouldn't you 20 years and up what's going to happen which have numbered against me Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, except Caleb the son of Jephana and Joshua the son of Nun. Those two. Now why didn't they get into the promised land? Unbelief was the official reason why they didn't enter into the promised land. It wasn't God's fault, it was their fault because they wouldn't believe. And you know the story, the leaders that basically led them down the path of unbelief died by the plague. Their tongues and jaws were eaten out with worms and the navel, heart and mouth, 
heart and mouth. Because you see, they taught them incorrectly. They taught them to be in unbelief. We can't do it. They're too strong. The problems are too big. Circumstances are just too tough for us to, you know, overcome. The giants are there. The walled cities are there. That's what they were saying. So they taught them that. And because they taught them that mentality of unbelief, mm -mm, they didn't enter in. Even Jesus couldn't do mighty works because of unbelief among the people. But then also we said that God is pleased when we believe. We saw Joshua and Caleb, they got to the promised land and they got in the promised land because they had a different spirit with them. They believed that God was their source and not themselves. See, under Moses, they were believing they were their source to get in. And that's why they failed. But under Joshua, they believe God was their source and he would get them in. So how does that, they say, affect us? We should have the same mindset. It's not me. It's not what you can do. It's not what I can do. It's not our performance. It's based on what God can do and who he is and what Jesus has done for us. And that's where our faith is. We trust in him, not in ourselves, not on our own understanding. And then we showed a parallel. And the parallel is this. Egypt is a type of the world. And of course, Satan, the God of this world. Well, Moses was their deliverer who brought them out. But Jesus is our deliverer who brought us not out of Egypt, but out of the realms of darkness, Satan's kingdom, and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And then we have the wilderness experience. And that's the time between the promise and its fulfillment. And that's when they wandered in that particular period of time. But it's in that place where to be deprogrammed and reprogrammed to start believing and thinking the way God wants us to believe and think. And in that time, we're going to be challenged, we know, by any enemy and many enemies. But how we act during that time is going to determine whether or not we get into the promised land. The promised land then is not heaven like some songs have been you know, made that that's heaven. It's not heaven. There are no enemies in heaven. There's no walled cities in heaven to keep people out. It's, it just doesn't line up. The door is wide open for anyone who believes. But you see, there's no enemy there. And so all it is, it's a type of a life of victory, the abundant life that Jesus came for us to experience while we live our lives now on this earth. So we see the parallels here. And we've been brought out of darkness. We're now trekking through the wilderness we're headed for the promised land we've got to get our minds renewed get deprogrammed the way we used to think get reprogrammed on the way god wants us to think do something with our body do something with our soul and get into the promised land that's why hebrew said you speed to get there you speed to get there i guarantee you if i just never read this book i'm not going fast enough to get into my promised land i can't know the promises of god if i don't open up my bible and read the promises of god and find out what belongs to me and then by faith embrace those truths. Now to continue our study, look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 8 and verse 13. And once again, a, basically a sorry scenario. And thank God for what happened. But once again, a sorry scenario with regard to what took place in this man's life. And of course, as Jesus responded to it about the people of Israel. This is the Roman centurion who came to him and said to Jesus, My son, Lato, home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented, please come and heal him. And Jesus said, okay, I will. And he said, I'm not worthy that you would come to my room, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Notice, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And when he heard that, 
You know, Jesus heard him say that. And, and the man said, look, I've got men under me. I've got soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, go, and he'll go. I say to this man, come, and he comes. This man, do this, and he'll do it. And Jesus marveled at what he heard and said, I've not found this kind of faith in all of Israel. People will come in. The, for the children of God will come in. The children of the kingdom will come in. But they'll be cast in outer darkness. Why? And they'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth. Why? Because they would not believe the truth. But notice what he said in verse 13. And Jesus said to the centurion, go thy way. And as your mother-in-law believed, so be it done. Oh. Go thy way, and as you, who? You believe. Notice this language. So be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Notice again, as you have believed. Why is this important? Because... It's as we believe, so shall it be done to us. Think about it. As we believe, what we believe is so important. And that's why I wrote out this testimony for you about this young boy by the name of Andrew Mullins. Seems like Andrews are getting healed all the time. Amen? Amen. All right. So I want us to look at this testimony here. It will really help us focus on what we believe and the importance of it. This little boy, 17 months old. In the first 17 months of his life, he was not really growing like he should and having some issues. And they took him to the doctors. His parents did. And the doctors weren't concerned. Oh, double ear infection here. Another time they checked him out. Oh, nothing wrong with him here. Until one day, finally, he was lying on his stomach and the mother saw a little growth on, the, on his back. And concerned, went and had x-rays taken. But the doctor says, oh, I don't think it's a big deal. And so they scheduled, they said, just maybe you should just get a check in an MRI or whatever. So they had it scheduled, but it was like a few months down the road. Well, then once again, another doctor saw him and said, no, 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 no. I don't like this. Let's get this done now. And so they discovered that this little boy, Andrew, 17 months old, had neuroblastoma cancer. And every bone in his body had cancer in it except his hands and feet. That's what they were hit with. This boy was to the point of stage 4 cancer and dying. He had a tumor on his spine 7 by 8 by 21 centimeters. And he was dying. They didn't even know what stage four was. And the doctors had to say, it's the last stage. This was their fifth child. And of course, they were heartbroken and heart sick. Now the father, they're a Christian family, and the father uh, worked for a Christian charity. And he also did some preaching, some evangelizing. And he knew the Bible as far as preaching about heaven, about hell, and forgiveness of sin and all that and leading people to Christ. But one day while they were in the hospital and running some tests, he was at the little cafe that they had and sitting down and conversing with another parent that was there. And the father says, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm a you know, missionary, I'm an evangelist. I, I preach and, and I work for you know, this charity and, and all that. And the guy just looked at him and said, 
How can you believe in a loving God who allows things like this to happen to little children? He was taken back by the statement. And what he said was this. Now remember, when he said this, at the time that he said this, he knew nothing about God's healing power or God's will with regard to healing. He just said, you know what? God's in control. God has a plan and a purpose for everything. I just trust him. That's what he said. And of course, we hear that a lot, don't we? Well, voice, notice that section, voice of religion. The voice of religion. What they did was they went on Facebook and they enlisted the prayers of other people in the body of Christ. And they got over four to 5,000 people joining together with them and praying about their little boy, Andrew. But along with those that said they were committed to praying came these other responses that they got. For example, this first one. This is the voice of religion. God needs another angel in heaven. God needs another angel in heaven. Can I be so bold as to say that people are not angels? We're not angels. And we don't become an angel when we go to heaven. We're human beings and angels long for what we have. We're above the angels. Okay, so to say that God needs another angel is number one, unscriptural. But number two, it would be extremely selfish for God to want that two-year-old by this time for himself when he can have that child for an eternity but yet deny him a life on earth and deny those parents opportunities to be with that child as that child grows up. But you see, they didn't know anything about God's will. And so this is what they got. Look at the second one. God has a plan. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Another thing that they had heard from other believers. Now listen to the terminology again. Believers. Because you see, people believe that. And when we believe wrong, it affects our walk with God. It closes the door to what God wants done and opens the door to what the enemy wants done. As you believe, so will it be done unto you. So, the Lord is in control was the next statement. The Lord's in control. Well, if the Lord is in control, hmm, you're implying then that this is something that God has orchestrated or this is something that God has put together. Well, is that what some, something that God did? That it was his hand in this? Did he put this thing together for this little boy? I don't think so. I know it's not true. And I'll show you in the scriptures in a moment. But next, look at the third one. The Lord has a plan. Well, I know he has a plan. But scripturally speaking, his plans for good, not for evil, to give us a future and to give us a hope. Is it not? But you see, once again, people believe those statements. They embrace those statements because somehow, some way, maybe it brings comfort to their hearts or to their minds if they think that God is really the one who's in need of an angel, in control of a situation that's ugly, or has a plan. But the plan, once again, is very destructive. Okay, look at the next one. Because this one, mm, I don't know what this does to you. But wow, when I heard them say this, this is what they were told. Because of all your years in Christian ministry, God counted you worthy to have a child with cancer. 
That was another statement that they had received. God counted you worthy to have a child with cancer. And then the next one. The next one is you don't die one day earlier than God has ordained. The outcome is set in stone. Now you have to remember these people are vulnerable. They're getting instruction from other people because they're vulnerable because their child's going through a difficult situation and the mother when she heard that she was taken by it. You don't die one day earlier than God ordained. Why does the scripture then say why should a man die before his time? Why does it say some will live out, won't live out half their days? Why does it say in the book of Proverbs many, many times, if you do this, this, and this, it'll add years and length of days to your life? See, it doesn't make any sense when you look at it spiritually or scripturally. So this mother actually got to the point as she heard these statements being made from other Christians, she almost was to the point where she believed it was the will of God. But here's what she said. If that's the case, basically, what's the point? Why pray? We've got four to 5,000 people praying out there. Why pray? If that's the way it is that this child has to die because it's the will of God, let God's will be done, and so on. Some just said, let him go. And she said, then why pray? What's the point? And the f- husband, his name is Mike, went to a prayer meeting, and in the prayer meeting, when they saw him walk in, they said, how do you want us to pray for your child? He said, I want you to pray as if it was your own child. And all of a sudden, they all started to get before the Lord and plead and beg and plead and beg. When he got done from the prayer meeting, he walked down, he just said, we've got 5,000 people, and, and here we are pleading and begging God to do something. And he said, look, I have compassion toward my son. Do I have more compassion than God does? Do I have to beg him? Do I have to plead with him to do something about my son? He said, what if I got 10,000 people together praying? Would that make a difference? So he was very confused. They were very confused about what was going on. Well, by this time, they were about to have their sixth child. As a matter of fact, she was in the hospital. She had her sixth baby, her name Grace. And when she had the sixth baby in the hospital, she still had correspondence from all these other people. And they were sending gifts and cards and that sort of thing in the mail. When one gift was some teaching CDs from Andrew Womack, God wants you well. And at this time, they were so far spent, they described it as being in survival mode. They were in survival mode. And they were saying we couldn't read our Bibles. We couldn't even pray. Look, we were down that road before. It's extremely taxing. You're living at a hospital. You're not getting any sleep. You know, you're there all night long and, and rarely getting any sleep. You know, and they said we couldn't read our Bible. We, so to listen to a CD wasn't what we really wanted right now. So they put it up on a shelf. But still something in him said, I still need help. So he went to a local pastor that he knew very well and said to him exactly what he was going through. I'm in survival mode right now. And what he got from the pastor was, well, it's okay to be in in survival mode. He said, I don't want to hear that. I want to be in more than a conqueror mode. I want to know how to get there. I want to know about healing. I want to know if it's for us today because if it's for us today, my son's, I want to know how it works because my son's life depends on it. So what they did was one day after, of course, a while, 
after they were all recovered and, and mom was recovered, they took a ride to Dublin. And on the way, they're from Ireland. On, on the ride to Dublin, they put in the CDs and they began to listen. God wants you well. They were shocked by what they heard because they had never heard anything like that before. They were stunned and amazed by the revelation. God wants us well. Could this possibly be true that God wants us well? Is this really what the Bible teaches that God wants us well? And they listened to the tapes over and over and over again. Now we're talking about only believe. But when you believe those religious statements above the word of God, you're going to get what those statements say. But when you shift over and start believing the truth, as Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You'll start getting what the truth says belongs to us. So they got excited about what they had heard and they started following all the scriptures. And what they did was they learned some things. They learned that God's healing power is for them and that they could lay hands on the sick and they can recover. The mother took it upon herself to look up some scriptures about bones because the cancer was in the bones throughout his entire body. And look at Proverbs 15 and verse 30. This is from the New King James Version of the Bible. This is how faith works. This is powerful, a powerful truth. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and a good report makes the bones healthy. And man, when she saw that verse of scripture, she read that it resonated within. It was something she absorbed in her. Now remember, his bones are full of stage four cancer. But the light of the eyes, the light came to her, her eyes and understanding. It rejoices the heart. And what does it do to the bones? Makes healthy the bones. So learning that verse of scripture and then learning by his stripes we were healed. And learning they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. She went and the two of them got their baby, laid him on the bed and laid their hands on his pelvic and thighs. And they said, Bones, we've got good news for you. By his stripes, you were healed. That's what they did. Shortly after that, they did a retesting. And they were shopping somewhere because it took time to get the results of the test. And the father picks up the phone and starts talking to the person who did the testing and said, this is all up in the air. I don't know what to say. What do you mean? Is it up in the air good or is it up in the air bad? And they said, it's up in the air good. Well, what is it? He has no cancer in his bones. They're clear, completely clear of cancer. Well, then why are you saying it's up in the air? They said, because we don't know how it happened. So to them, it's all up in the air. They're puzzled. They're amazed. They don't know what to do. They, what they did didn't do it. But here this child that had all this cancer in his bones, completely cancer free. Well, then there was the tumor. And there was a part of the tumor that they could not take out because of its location in his body. There was active cancer in that part of the tumor that was still left in his body. Now she needed something else to fight with. She said, well, we did this with the bones. We got that Proverbs verse. 
But now, Lord, I need something else. And I have to admit to you, I have never seen or heard of anyone going to Judges 3, verses 16 through 22 in the New King James Version of the Bible to find a dagger to kill cancer with. But look at what it says. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged. Remember that double-edged sword? And a cubit in length, about 18 inches. And fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried his tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were in Gilgal and said, I have a secret message. Listen to that. I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Now picture that and look at this mother coming up with this. The dagger is a two-edged sword, which is the word of God. I'm going to take that dagger just like he did. I'm going to thrust it into that tumor. And when I thrust it into that tumor, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to pull it out. I'm going to leave it there. And the same thing will happen. It's all going to come out. So they went again and got the baby. Put him on the bed once again. And laid their hands on his belly and said to, basically to the cancer they spoke, cancer, neuroblastoma, I've got news for you, Andrew is healed by the stripes of Jesus. By his stripes, Andrew is healed. And again, long story short. He had to have a retesting. But before the retesting, just to show you how things work, especially among believers, and this is a sad scenario, <clears throat> but it's true. The father, who was excited about his son being cancer-free in his bones, was approached by some other people because he was talking about the healing. And these other believers just said, well, if you believe he's healed, then take him off the, the medication or take him off what he's got to be going through, these tests and all that sort of thing, because... They wanted to deal with this tumor that was still a little bit there. He said, I'm not ready to do that. We're believing God. We're speaking the word. We're leaving the word into his body. And that's all there is to it. And we'll just let them finish what they're doing. But we're telling you right now, when they're done, he'll be cancer free. Now, these people never heard this message before. They had no understanding of this is how the word works. That this is how you use your faith. This is what you believe. You believe beyond you know, the natural report. And so he said, this is what we're going to do. Well, they did the retesting. 
And it took a while for the test to come back. And after the retesting, he got another call. Andrew is completely cancer free. And of course, we realize that it takes time to verify. But after five years of being cancer free, he was officially pronounced cancer free in 2017. And this year, in September, he'll be eight, he'll be nine years old. And he is cancer free. So does it matter what we believe? You better believe it matters what we believe. Because you see, if we believe wrong, we're going to have wrong. In Mark's gospel, chapter 9, and verse 23, a verse that we should all know. Jesus saith unto him, if thou canst believe... All things are possible to him that believeth. But if you look at that verse in its proper setting, the verse before that, when the man came to Jesus and said, Oh Lord, I went to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. I'm coming to you to see if you could have mercy on us and please help my son. He throws himself into the fire. He throws himself into the water. He's suicidal. He tries to kill himself. He's being driven by this day in and day out. Can you imagine oftentimes he does this? Can you imagine being that parent, watching your child do this, constantly trying to kill himself, throw himself into the fire, throw himself into the water to drown himself? That's what he was doing. I went to your disciples. I've gone everywhere. And they couldn't do one thing about it. So if you can, if you can do something, have mercy on us and help us. And Jesus said, it's not about me. It's if you can believe. Because if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And the man made a declaration, I believe. Help my unbelief. A statement that everybody in the body of Christ should make. I'm believing as far as I know and as far as I can. If it needs tweaked, help me tweak it. Help my unbelief. Help me get rid of that out of my life. And you know how do you get rid of that? By taking those religious statements and just saying, God doesn't need another angel in heaven. He's got enough angels. God has a plan, but it's not for evil. It's for good. To give us a future and give us a hope. Don't believe that because that's unbelief. God's not rewarding you for your Christian service by giving you a child with cancer. That's ridiculous. It's mindless. That's basically people trying to, I guess, come up with some way of bringing comfort. I don't understand that. You don't fight the devil that way. No, you know how you fight the devil? It is written. And that's what they did. By his stripes, you are healed. Bones, I got good news for you. The gospel is good news. And the gospel is the power of God that saves, heals, delivers, and sets free. Imagine that. Now, as we go back to our illustration with Joshua and Moses, and how under Moses they could not get to the promised land. Why? Because they didn't believe right. They trusted in themselves. They believed in themselves and said, we can't enter in. There's giants. We can't do it. There's walled cities. And every one of those giants represents an emotional situation in people's lives. 
And if you don't know what they are, go back and get a handout back there in, an, in, the, in the racks we have in the corner out there in North Texas, our church. Emotional giants that keep people out of their promised land. The giant of fear, compromise, low self-esteem, and the list goes on. Okay, so here we have now, Joshua was used by God to raise up a people, a new breed of people that would believe and not be like the others. Now remember, under Moses, they came out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. They came out of slavery, but slavery mentality was not out of them. And so when they found themselves in a situation where they had to believe God, because they were not taught and schooled in faith, they believed wrong. And that's why God said, how long will it be before you believe me? You saw my miracles, my signs, my wonders, but you will not believe me. And how long will it take for you to believe me? So they had to wipe them out. Think about it. This is a hard thing to really swallow. Anyone 20 years and up, you got to die to get rid of the unbelief. Anyone 19 and under, we can work with you. So what happens? Joshua now is being raised up by God to take over the leadership of the Israelites. Moses dies, and now he's going to take them into the promised land. But since this is huge, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first 12 verses, even 13, what does it say? All this was done as an example for us to understand what not to do and learn what to do. So this is an illustration provided for us. It was written for our sake so that we can see how they didn't make it in. And we can learn how God raised up Joshua as a leader to teach them faith so that they could enter in how to believe correctly. Because you know Joshua and Caleb, they believed right. Did they not? Okay, so as we're going to put the parallel together, we see it side by side so that we can make it relevant to our lives today. This is what they were taught the 19-year-olds and under, as time went on, this is what they were taught. They went to the school of faith, taught by Joshua and Caleb, and here's what they were taught. Number one, your enemy is defeated. Joshua 5 and verse 1, your enemy is defeated. It came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which are the uh, side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of Canaanites, which were by the sea, Heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel. Until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Now, what a, what a picture. They're afraid to go in and conquer the land. But the people of the land are more afraid of them. It's exactly what that's saying. They were afraid. But they wouldn't go in. Because they were afraid. That, that they were bugs. Facing giants. Well Joshua says. Here's how we got to think. Your enemy's defeated. Don't walk around saying. The devil's so big. The devil's so strong. And the this and the that. And all that. And all the circumstances the, of life. The mountains that we face. The, the problems that we encounter. Don't talk like that. Our enemy is defeated. Okay, look in the book of, of Hebrews. Here's your parallel. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. May I ask you who defeated the devil? Well, guess what? You don't have to. All you have to do is resist him. 
All you have to do is resist him with your faith, Peter said. What does that mean? I believe that Jesus defeated you. So when his ugly head steps up and he says it crops up and he says all these things, nasty things to you about you're not this, not good and that. No. Stop right there. You are defeated. You're under my feet. You have no power over me, no authority over me. As far as I'm concerned, praise God, Jesus put you to shame, made you a, a public display of you. You and all your cohorts have been defeated. That's faith. I believe it. But if we're walking around and just saying, the devil's been just tormenting me all week long. He's been after me. You know, everywhere I go, it seems like he's cropping his head up and you don't believe it. Is he defeated? Did Jesus destroy him? Okay, number two. Our enemy is defeated. Two, we have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. Look at the next scripture there. Verse two. He was telling them, Joshua is telling this to the Israelites. Look, you have a covenant with God. Your enemy is defeated. That's number one. But you have God's word as an anchor for your soul. And you need to know that what God says is yours. It is yours. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Do you know why? Do you know what circumcision stands for? The covenant of blood. He was saying to them, communicate to those that haven't been circumcised yet, that they're to be circumcised so that they know that God swore by an oath. You say, well, how important is that? How important is the rainbow in the sky? That rainbow in the sky, we just saw one recently, was absolutely bright and beautiful. And Andrew said, look, Dad, look at that. And he took a picture of it. And I said, isn't that gorgeous? I said, son, what does that mean? It means God will never destroy the earth by a flood again. I said, you got that right, Andrew. You got that right. Notice, he will not do it. He, he cannot do it. Even though he has the ability to do it, he will not do it because he can't lie. And once God makes a promise, he makes a promise. He follows through with it. He'll honor his word. Okay, so we know that. They had a covenant with God. Joshua is the teacher. He's teaching them your enemies defeated. You've got a covenant with God. But what about us? Hebrews, 11 and, um, Hebrews 8 and verse 6. What does it say? But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Well, whatever covenant they had, ours is better. Ours is better. Aren't you glad to know that? Anything and everything that God provided for them, praise God, we've got something better. A better covenant, better promises, better blood was offered, not bulls, not goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ provides a better covenant for you and for me. And the Bible says, don't forget one of his benefits. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Don't forget one benefit of the covenant that you have with the living God. So your enemy is defeated. You've got a covenant with God. Hallelujah. And it's, you've been delivered. Thank God he delivered us. Look at chapter 5 and verse 10. He delivered us. Mm. Now here's the parallel. They were delivered. And guess what? They didn't know it. They didn't realize it. Do you know when they came across the Red Sea. They looked back and they saw all the Egyptians drowned in the sea. That's when they realized. You're not going to see the enemy anymore. They're dead. 
They're gone. They're not going to chase you down anymore. Period. Well, and the children of Israel encamped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. What's the Passover? It speaks of their deliverance from slavery, right? Oh, you might say, well, that's wonderful. They were delivered from slavery. Well, so were we. That was only a type, an example of the true deliverance. They were delivered from slavery in the nation. You and I have been delivered from the powers of darkness. Look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. We've been delivered from the powers of darkness and translated into God's kingdom. Who hath delivered us? Not going to deliver us, but he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we've been delivered. Yes, they were delivered, but it's a type of our being delivered. But our deliverance is better than their deliverance. Because you see, our enemy is defeated. We've got a covenant with God and we have been delivered from all the powers of darkness. And that means we are no longer under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness. And if we could actually see this, it would be so wonderful for us all to see it. Remember Jesus said, if you continue my word, you're my disciple. Indeed, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, the truth is we've already been delivered. I had over the years, many come and say, we've got to go to deliverance ministries. We've got to go to deliverance ministries. We've got to go to these deliverance ministries. And I want to just take him and shake him and just say, read Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Because you see, once you've been delivered, believe it. Believe it, believe it. And listen, people have paid money to go to these places to be delivered. More than once. Wait a minute. It's free. Your deliverance is free. You see, if you don't believe it, the devil will just wreak havoc with your life. We should be rising up and just saying, I've been delivered from that. I've been delivered from that. I've been delivered from that. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, I just can't seem to get free, start saying, I've been delivered from that. I've been delivered from that. I've been pulled out of the jurisdiction of Satan's kingdom. And I've been placed into God's kingdom. Jesus is my Lord now. He's not my Lord now. I've been delivered. So what is faith? I declare it. I decree it. Uh-uh. I'm not bound by you anymore. You have no power over me. I've been delivered. Praise God. Now what about this one? Remember, that's your deliverance. How you got out. It wasn't on your own. It was because of what he did. The next one, it's a new day. Mm, it is a brand new day. You know, back then they experienced wonderful things. Things that our minds have a hard time comprehending. 4,500 tons of manna came down out of the sky every morning. Can you imagine that? We read about that, but can you imagine ever experiencing that? And what about this? That spiritual rock that followed them? It was Christ. And 11 million gallons of water came out of the rock every single day. No plumbing. Isn't that a lot of water? Can you imagine living in a walking miracle? For how long? 40 years for 40 years 
Uh, whose turn is it to get the manna? I think it's yours. No, I think it's yours. You better go pick up some manna. Oh, I tried to get too much and it bred worms. Whose turn is it to go fetch the water? 40 years. No wonder they wanted quail. No wonder they wanted meat. And God gave them meat till it came out their nostrils. Isn't that what it says? The quail was as high as their waist as far as the eye can see in every direction. Can you imagine being surrounded by that kind of quail? Oh my goodness. Right. Well, it's a new day. What does that mean for us? Look at John's Gospel, chapter 6. Because you see, the new day that we live in is manna came down from heaven once. Once. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Have you partaken of the bread of life? Glory be to God. One time is sufficient for eternity. You're a partaker of the bread of life. See, it's a new day. And in that new day, Jesus says, ask me nothing. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, how important is that? How relevant is that? There was never a day that you can go ask the Father. There was never a day that you can approach the throne of God under the old covenant. There was no access to the holiest place of all. Only the high priest could go in once a year. But it's a new day. Oh, it's a brand new day. The door's been thrown open wide. Everyone can enter in. Everyone can come to the throne and partake, praise God, of the presence of Almighty God because of what Jesus did. It's a new day. And the next one, what are we on, number five, six, five. The next one, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. You don't fight the enemy by yourself. Look at Joshua once again in chapter 5. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face uh, to the earth and did worship and said to him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. This was no angel. This was the Son of God manifested in the Old Testament as the captain of the host of the army of the living God. Why do I know that? Only he could make the ground holy. And if it was an angel, he'd say, get up off your feet. Don't do it. Well, how does that pertain to us? Where's the parallel here? He's on his side. I'm for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to defend you. Do you think you're a match in your own strength, Joshua, to go in there and fight the enemy? You think all these people here in, in Israel that came out of slavery can go in there and defeat this mighty Jericho with all of its walls and warriors and giants that are in the land? 
I'm here, so fear not. Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 in the Amplified Bible. Have you got your shouting clothes on? Have you got your shouting clothes on? Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For God himself has said. Everybody say, God said. And this is not E.F. Hutton. This is God said. Well, what did God say? I will not in any way fail you nor give you up, nor leave you without support. It will, I will not, I will not, I will not. Let's say that again. I will not, I will not, I will not. Let's say it again. I will not. I will not. I will not. Let's do it this way. I will not. I will not, I will not. That's how you meditate. I will not. I will not what, Lord? I will not. Look at this. In any degree, in any degree, let you leave you helpless, nor forsake you, let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly. What do we say? The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. It will not, I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? Hallelujah. He said so that we would say. He didn't say that so that we could stand before the walls of Jericho and just say, but we're nothing but a bunch of bugs. And look at those giants that are in the land. Look at those walled cities and how strong and how tough they are. You have no idea what I'm facing in this life. Oh, yes, we all know we face all kinds of circumstances and situations. But in those circumstances, in those situations, he said to say, because he said he will not leave us or forsake us, or let us down, or relax his hold on us, so that you could boldly say, the Lord is my helper, the Lord is my helper, the Lord is my helper, I will not be seized with alarm, I will not fear what man should do to me, because the Lord is my helper, hallelujah. You're not alone. We're not alone in this battle. We're not alone facing adversity. Thank God, all he wants us to do is to believe that. You see, if we believe that, if God be for us, who could be against us? Can you say amen? Who could possibly be against us? No one could be against us if God is for us. As he was for them, so is he for us. So that's number five. And number six. Oh, here it is, number six. Joshua chapter six. Now we move over to chapter six. This is all better than the walls falling down. Did you know that? Because this is what made the walls fall down. See, we teach it to our young people. The walls came tumbling down. All the goodies are on the inside of the walls and all that sort of thing. But let me tell you something. It's what led up to the walls coming down that's important because that's faith in operation. That's what they believed. And look what happened here. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor I have given. It's done. 
I've given it to you. I've given you the land. That's our next point. He gave them the land already. Before they ever walked in. Before they ever did anything. He gave them the land. What's that got to do with us? Well, let's walk you through it. Go to 2 Peter. Chapter 1. Verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us a few things. What? He gave us Jericho? Everybody say all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that's called us to glory and virtue. Did you see how grace and peace are multiplied? You know what grace is? His power of operation. Peace is a state of perfection. In spirit, soul, and body. And how is it multiplied? How are they multiplied? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So we just gave you six things here. Six things that they said this is an example for us. It's a type for us to look at and build our faith on. The enemy's defeated. So is ours. Amen. They get a covenant of God. We got a better one. Amen. Can you, do you see the points? They've, they, they've been delivered and brought out. So have we. Right. And the list goes on. Okay. And then finally. You see. Now that last point is this. Do what he says to do. Even if it's illogical. Even if it's illogical. Look at chapter 6, Joshua, and verse 3, I believe it is. And we're not going to take time to read all this. You shall compass the city, all men of, you men of war, and go round about the city once. Thou shalt do this six days. And then he goes on to say, on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times. You're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, and you're going to blow the trumpet, and when, you know, say a word. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Just walk around the cities. The city walls just walk around. Do you ever look at what those city walls look like? We are told you can ride two chariots side by side on top of those city walls. We told there's an inner and an outer wall. Then they're so they're impenetrable. No one's ever penetrated them. So powerful. So can you imagine them? No one went in. No one went out because the children of Israel they were taking a little hike around. You know, once a day. That was their exercise. Some of them had their cell phones. They were measuring their distance, how far they were walking around. Oh, I got in a mile today. Pretty good. Yeah. And they just kept doing it. Now, can you imagine? I just love the mind of those VeggieTale writers. They had them up there throwing snow coats. <laughs> the Israelites would go walking around, and then they're throwing snow coats. And they're laughing. Look at them. Look what they're doing. Now, I don't know about you. Remember, he said, Shh, don't say a word. You think he reminded them of Numbers 14, 28, when it was said, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do to you. Remember, your fathers died in the wilderness because they said we can't do it. I know these walls look impenetrable. I know there's giants in the land. I know it seems like as though there's no possible way that we can do this. But do not say a word out of your mouth that's negative about this situation. 
Can you imagine on the sixth day? Gertrude. What are we doing here? I don't know, Walter. It's just, this is crazy. Has Joshua lost his mind? What's going on here? Uh, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not a word out of your mouth. The only word going to come out of your mouth is when I say shout, you are going to shout. So do what the Lord says to do, even if it's illogical. Well, in James chapter 1 and verse 22, what are we told? Verse 21 actually says, put away all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, and with meekness receive the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. Then verse 22, James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Do what he said to do. If he said walk around the walls, walk around the walls. If he said only believe, then only believe. In every situation, just say what the word says, just only believe. So, here we have the last point. And what did they do? Exactly what he said to do. And what did they get? They got divine intervention. Now what are we to do? I can't do what he said to do if I, if, if I don't know what he said. If he said he'll never leave me nor forsake me that I may boldly say the Lord is my helper. Well, what am I saying? Do you know he said let the weak say I am strong? He never said let the weak say I am weak. But let the weak say I am strong in the Lord the power of his might. Right? He said that. He said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. I've been resisting him all day. And you know, he's just not going anywhere. Nowhere. You see, we forget to realize, because you said he's going nowhere, (laughs) he knows that your faith is really not up to par. You you realize that. You got me on a bad day, because I can preach this all night. All night long. This is what drew Andrew a left pulmonary artery. When he said only believe, we believed he received a left pulmonary artery and it was recreated. So let's stand together before the Lord.